You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 together. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to that. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get ushers to, uh, to bring you one. Um, if you're like me, maybe you grew up in, uh, in the church, but you never celebrated Advent. Uh, that was, this has been a new experience for, for me and my family uh, the last few years at Reality. It's been really neat. Um, one thing I'm learning is that there are uh, so many ways we have to learn to posture ourselves to, to walk into what God has for us. It doesn't always come naturally. So we're in the, the third week of Advent, and this week... We move from, in the, last, uh, the first two weeks, a posture of waiting, of longing, of that identification with the people of Israel that had this hope that God was coming to rescue and deliver them. We move from that into this season of hope, of joy, uh, this realization that God has come. And now we live on the other side of this this waiting and longing, and we long for the next coming, the fulfillment of all that God is going to do. Last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Dave talked about this theme of exile through all of Scripture, from from Genesis uh, all the way through, that we as God's people, we live in this state of exile uh, between what has come and what will come. That it's both physical, that the, the people of Israel wandered in the desert through strange lands where were exiled, strangers, but also spiritual. That our sin from the very beginning in the garden created this separation, this exile from God in relationship. And so we live in this longing and desire to go home. And, and we talked about this last week, that whether you are a believer or not, that there is this insatiable longing inside all of humanity for the shalom of God, for things to be the way they were meant to be from the beginning. Are you guys with me this morning? Okay. Let's talk about hope. Let's talk about that longing. Um, I know that many of you are preparing to go home for the holidays. First of all, I hope you call this home. I hope San Francisco's home for you and, and then you go back to see your family and things. But whatever it may be, you're going to go back uh, for Christmas and, and New Year's and things. And some of you may be experiencing this, this actual longing to go home, remembering like mom's recipes and like sleeping in the room you grew up in, which is a little bit creepy, uh, and like your toys and stuff and the dog and like all these different things. Maybe you're experiencing that longing. This can be a profound Profoundly powerful experience, this longing for home. Uh, if you've read the book Unbroken, uh, I know it's coming out in the movie, but I encourage you to read the book first. The books are always better than the movies, almost always. All right, uh, this book Unbroken is powerful, it's encouraging. Um, and in this book, uh, it's the story of this guy, Louis Zamperini, and I won't blow the story for you, okay? But he uh, is in the military at one point in his life, in World War II. And he is in this bomber plane that uh, is doing these tours near Japan. And on one of these tours, the plane goes down in the middle of the Pacific. And there's only three of the crew survive, Louis and, and two other guys. And they're living on these rafts in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And within days, they're out of food. They have no water, no cover, no shade, no nothing. 
And they're going to be in this state for weeks and weeks. They don't know it, but they're going to be in this state for weeks and weeks. And so this really amazing thing happens, and I've heard about this in like POW camps and, 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 and situations like that, where they begin to tell stories of home to stay alive. They begin to tell stories of their, their mother's lasagna, like in, in detail, like the melted cheese and like the meat and the, the way it was stacked and the way it smelled when it came out of the oven. And they told stories of their neighborhoods growing up, what the trees looked like and the friends they played with. And what they were doing was they were creating artificially hope that they would get home. That place was real and the hope was to get back there one day. Have you ever experienced a longing like that? I believe you have, whether you can identify it right now or not. I believe that inside of us, we have this innate longing, this hope to get home for the way things are meant to be. And we see all around us, it isn't going the way it's meant to go. So we reflect, we talk about we encourage one another, and we're going to do that today as we look at this group of people, this, this group of four people in Luke chapter 2 that are both an example of and living out, they are called to be people of hope. If there's anything that the people of God should be, should be characterized by outside of, of love, it should be hope. We should be a people of hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. Yes, amen? Jesus is the hope of the world. We are his people. So we are ambassadors of hope. Do you understand that? We are ambassadors of hope. That's what we should be in this city. If you've ever um, come across someone who is like extremely hopeful, uh, you are either really encouraged or really annoyed with this person, <laughs> depending on your state of heart. Um, this happens in everything. Sports fans, um, listen, I grew up in San Diego, okay? Hey, and so did a couple other people. That's cool. Um, so if you're from San Diego or you follow sports at all, um, you know that we got it rough. Okay, I don't want to hear from Cleveland, okay? I don't want to hear from these other cities that haven't won, from Chicago, all right? We haven't won a world championship in 100 years. We haven't won a world championship in 60 years. We haven't won anything in San Diego, ever, <laughs> anything. There is, like, talk about being hopeless. Like, there, that is the life of a San Diego sports fan. And yet, every year, at the beginning of Chargers season, there's just like a few of these people, these remnants, that say, this is it. Have you seen our roster? Oh my gosh, we're gonna do it. And if those are the right people and my heart is in the right state, I'm encouraged by that. So yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe this is the year. After that weekend, for the rest of the year, I'm the guy who's annoyed by that person. <laughs> Shut up, I don't wanna hear it anymore. Okay. It just, it depends on the, the state of our heart. But maybe you've experienced this, being around. Listen, if you've gone through um, like really intense uh, health issues, to have a person that is like eternally hopeful by your side is transformative. 
It will change your outlook. It will change your attitude. Uh, it will make that experience completely different than otherwise. These people are a gift. And we are meant to be this to the world. Ambassadors of hope. So I want you to look with me uh, as we read Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to verses 40, about some of these people in the Bible, these people who lived in hope. And this is what it says. Verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom uh, of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. The, father, the child's father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day fasting and praying, coming up to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew, became strong, and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I ask on behalf of all of us this morning that you would refresh our hope in you. God, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would be reminded of your promises. God, that uh, we would put our hope in your character. You are good. God, you are not a man that you should lie. You do the things you say you're going to do. Pray this would be an awakening for those promises in us. Would you bless my mouth, Lord God, and my mind? 
Would you speak to your people by your spirit? Would our hearts be a fertile place for your word this morning, God? Would you do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we could do without you? In Jesus' name, amen. This is a re- really remarkable passage. Um, and maybe you have read right through it in the, the story of uh, the early Gospels, as I had many, many times. But what we're looking at in this very moment is a crossroads. A crossroads of, of everything that Israel had been waiting for and longing for and praying for. It's a rival. And then everything that that does for the rest of human history moving forward. You're sitting at the crossroad in this passage. It's powerful and it's amazing. This day, a a promise from the very beginning was being fulfilled by God. And only a few people were there to witness it and experience it. And these were people that were remarkable people. In this scene we just read, there's a group of people who are living a life of great hope, of great expectation. Each one of them is holding to a promise, either spoken or read to them. And everyone else around them, for the most part, had stopped hoping, had stopped believing. These people were waiting in expectation for this fulfillment of a promise, and there wasn't a lot of encouragement around them. So what kind of character must it require to be a person like this? We want to look at just a few of these this morning. We're going to look at the humility of Joseph and Mary. And then we're going to look at the faith of Simeon and finish with the devotion of Anna. So the first two, of course, are the superstars of the Christmas story besides Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph uh, were given a promise, both individually, through angels, through dreams, uh, this spoken promise to them of, of Jesus' conception, his birth, and his life after. And they live and they walk in this promise, this hope, at the, the story we're reading, it's eight days since Jesus' birth. Traditionally, in, in Jewish culture, this is when the firstborn is taken to the temple. He's consecrated. He's circumcised. He's blessed. And already, the word is stirring about this baby. Where from? Well, if you read the Christmas story, you're familiar with the shepherds. The shepherds uh, were not part of uh, the, the in crowd, Okay, in, in town. They lived on the outskirts. They smelled uh, kind of raunchy. They lived with sheep most of the time alone. And yet God chooses them and gives them this incredible experience where the angels are revealed on uh, the birth of Jesus, the night of the birth of Jesus. And the shepherds are given this message and they go spreading the word around. Okay, I want to like contextualize this. I hope you do this once in a while when you read like about these people in scripture. Like what would it be like to be them? What would that look like if it happened today? Here's how I imagine it would happen today. That, that G- Joseph and Mary go to general hospital and every single room is filled and so they get put in a storage closet, right? Where there's like all the dirty gowns and everything and like stuff. And, and so they're there and they're, they're gi- they give birth to Jesus right there in the storage closet at SF General. And, and as they're there having the baby, these guys show up. It's the recology guys. It's, it's the compost guy, it's the recycle guy and the trash guy all at once. <laughs> and they're like, 
we were driving and it was dark in our like ridiculously loud trucks. And, and then all of a sudden these angels appeared and they said, here's the baby at SF General in the closet. And so they all come and they bring their friends with them and they're going through the hospital just telling everyone about this child. That's how I imagine it would be. Don't hold me to that. I didn't go to seminary, so I could be off. But there's this, there's this stirring. There, there's people that, that have heard about the birth of, of this child. But still, I imagine, as I put myself in the, the shoes of, of Mary and Joseph, wouldn't it be hard to really believe that all of this was, was happening? That all of this was going to happen the way they had been promised, right? Have you ever been given a promise? Has anyone ever said, hey, this is going to happen uh, to you? And, and like in that moment, you're like really, really hopeful. Then as you walk it out, you're like, ah, oh, did I hear? Maybe I didn't quite hear that, right? Maybe it was like, uh, uh, you know, um, nah, I lost my word. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's like it's just a story, you know, like um, maybe I shouldn't hold on to that so tightly. I imagine that's what it was like it, because after all of their journey, and listen, Mary and Joseph go through a tough journey, right? I mean, she's pregnant before the wedding, and Joseph's like, okay, I'm going to divorce you quietly. And then an angel speaks to Joseph, okay, no, we are going to get married, and we're going to go on this really long road trip to some place where someone was from, an uncle a long time ago or something. And they go there, and they have the baby, and they're in terrible circumstances, right? They've been on this long, crazy journey, and they walk into the temple with a baby, and babies by and large, are not remarkable things. They're beautiful, they smell great, uh, they're cute, but they're not like remarkable things. And you think, the savior of the world? The savior of the world. Like this. I have to imagine that it's like hard to contextualize for Mary and Joseph. And yet there is this humility about these two that is just beautiful. It's just remarkable. It says they come into uh, the temple. Now, the, the typical sacrifice was a lamb. Like you made a lamb was the sacrifice. But for those who were too poor, did you see what they got to sacrifice? Two baby pigeons. Now, listen, this is why scripture is controversial. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? No one's ever seen a baby pigeon. <laughs> Have you, think about it. He says he has, I don't believe you, bro. <laughs> Sorry, man. They're like the unicorn. <laughs> this is what they're given to sacrifice, these baby pigeons. They're too poor. They don't have anything. It's just this beautiful faith, this humility that, that Mary and Joseph are just, each step of this crazy process, the beginning of their life together is just insane. And they just humbly walk it out. And they come to the temple literally with nothing. What a journey. The whole time they're just hanging on to this promise. And how do we know that, that maybe it was like beginning to fade a little bit? Because it says they marveled. They marveled at what Simeon had to say about Jesus, his words. So it wasn't like they were just this rock of faith. They were like you and I. They had down days. And questions, if they walked it out. And this is the thing, like faith and humility. These things are so closely linked together. Faith and humility. They're like the two cogs in the wheel of God's plan for humanity. He's looking for people who have faith and humility. That's what he sees in Mary 
and Joseph. They're so tightly linked together. Mary and Joseph have nothing. They're just kids. Like, they're young. They have nothing to offer, okay? They, they don't have an education. They don't have experience. Joseph's not like some big guy in the church, all right? Some big name with a lot of influence. They don't have wealth or anything. They just have this promise. That, okay, God, we're going to walk it out, what you said to do. We're going to trust that what you say is true and trust you and walk with you. And that's what brings them to this place. God's so good. You guys, God is so good. He will stoke your hope. The flame of your hope, he will stoke it. He will give you, as you walk faithfully, he will give you these little messages like Simeon, these promises that you will marvel at and remind you of what he plans to do. From the beginning of time, all that God has looked for in his people, in us, is people who trust him and are humble. That's all that God needs to change the entire world is he just needs people who are humble and trust him and walk that out. And that's what we see in Mary and Joseph when Simeon makes this prophetic word over uh, Jesus. It says they marvel at it. They're just so encouraged by it. The promise is coming true. It's another encouragement that they're on the right path. Their hopes and expectations are being realized. It's beautiful. So then we look at Simeon. Who is Simeon? The Bible says that there's a man who Luke described as righteous and devout. Now that doesn't seem like such a big thing, right? When we read the Bible, we think everyone's righteous and devout. That's why they're in the Bible, right? Well, not so much. It's not the case. People were just like you and I. They had doubts and failures and sin issues. And Simeon lived in this time in Israel's history that um, the commentator, J.C. Ryle, he calls it just spiritually dark. Listen to this, this quote. Uh, he says, the faith of Abraham, right, where God started with his people, this man Abraham, who didn't know God, who had, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a big leader or anything like that. Uh, he just called out to Abraham, and Abraham said, yes, I'll follow you. That's where it starts, just this promise like, I will make a nation, follow me, go where I tell you to go. I'm not telling you the destination, just start walking. And Abraham says, yes, I'll follow you. And he leaves everything. And he begins to follow the Lord. That's where the people of Israel begin. The faith of Abraham that was sweet and righteous and good, it was spoiled by the doctrine of Pharisees and Sadducees. The fine gold had become deplorably dim. Yet even then, we find in the midst of Jerusalem a man just and devout, a man upon whom is the Holy Ghost. Here's what J.C. Ryle is saying. The faith of this nation, Israel, had lost its strength. It had been overtaken, their faith, by doctrine, by, by rules, by this way of behaving Behavior modification had taken over. Law, love of law had taken over. And it crushed the faith of the people. The people of Israel had become more in love with themselves and their self-righteousness than they were in love with God, the centerpiece of their faith. Well, I was also saying that hope was fading in Israel 
right? There's generation after generation that spoke about this Messiah, this Savior, someone who would come and make things right. And people got tired of hearing it. And hope began to dim. But there was a man. There was a man, one man named Simeon, whose faith was not shaken, whose hope was alive. He was a remnant of past generations. So if you're here today as a believer in Christ, I wanna encourage you with this. What this is saying is that Simeon didn't flourish in his, his righteousness, in his devotion to the Lord within this, this thriving community of believers. He was in a dark place, yet he was devout. This can happen. Uh, there are many people, when I go home, when I go other places, and I tell people I'm a pastor at a church in San Francisco, you get all kinds of reactions. There aren't many that say, oh, I, yeah, I, I believed in that. Yeah, I believed that could happen. This city has been called a graveyard for faith. Many generations trying to plant, trying to do something here. Generations that have prayed and prayed and prayed without any fruit. Yeah, here we are. Look around for a second. Like, here we are. We are living in the fruit of a promise of like people's faith that have prayed for generations that God would do something in the city, and here we are. Let your hope be encouraged. I don't know what the environment is that, that you work in or your neighborhood, but listen to this. Simeon is an example. You do not need to live in the Bible Belt to have this flourishing faith. If anything, man, God, he blesses it in this tough ground. He makes that vine strong. Be encouraged that Simeon is living in this dark spiritual place and he is walking it out. He is righteous and devout. He's the first one in the temple when he hears from the Holy Spirit. He runs to the temple to see what this promise is. See, Simeon had this hope. It had been given to him by the Holy Spirit, this whisper. And listen, this is before Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit had not fallen on the people of God. This was a unique circumstance where God spoke to this man. He gave him this promise, you will not die before you see the Messiah with your own eyes. What an incredible gift. What a promise. Now listen, everyone around them had other hopes, right? Israel is hoping for political power, that someone would rise up and, and fight politically against the Romans. They might become their own nation. The Romans are like Uber. They want wealth and world domination, just trying to subdue everybody. <laughs> you work for Uber, I love you, okay? Don't talk to me afterwards. <laughs> the Greeks, they just want wisdom, philosophy, knowledge. But Simeon, this one man, he's holding on. I just want to see with my eyes the chosen one. And I'm going to go every day and I am going to be devout. And I am not going to lose hope and I am going to walk it out. Even when everything else fades away around me. It's an incredible example. So Simeon waits and he waits and he waits. We don't know if it was a short time. We don't know if it was weeks. We don't know if it was years or decades that Simeon's been waiting for this promise that he would see the Messiah to come true. Scripture doesn't tell us. But what we do know is however long Simeon waited, 
in that time, he was devout and righteous, faithfully walked with the Lord. You guys, this is what this Advent season is for us. It is a reminder. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. And everything will be made right. And that longing inside of us will be satisfied. And as dark as it gets around us, we will be devout and we will walk this thing out. And we will encourage one another. It's what we are here to do. Have you ever had that kind of just that longing, that hope? I'm not talking about Christmas. Like for my kids, Christmas starts like the Thanksgiving, when we're washing the dishes at Thanksgiving. And then it's like ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. The 25th comes in like half an hour. I'm bored. Can we go to a movie or something? I'm not talking about that kind. I'm talking about this, like, this greater hope outside of yourself. This, like, renewal. When we talk about everything going on um, with racial divide in our nation, we talk about the disparity of income around the world. We talk about the haves and the have-nots. You talk about sick, disease of cancer, just destroying humanity. I mean, think about all these things. I hope there's something in you that doesn't just throw their hands up and say, well, it is what it is. No, there is something that should be planted in your heart that says this is not right. Like there has to be something we are, we are hoping for that's bigger than this. I hope that's inside of you. Simeon had that, this hope and longing that was transcendent of his circumstances. So he kept his eyes open for the Messiah. I hope you are keeping your eyes open. So imagine what it must have been like for Simeon to walk into the temple. He gets this whisper from the Holy Spirit and he shows up in the temple and there he is, the one that thing that his heart had been just centered on his whole life. Simeon says this beautiful prayer. It's called the, the nunc dimittis. Take me now, Lord. I'm satisfied. You may take me. Let me go in peace. Everything is finished. You fulfilled your promise. And there's another person that day in the temple with them. This woman, Anna a prophetess. Luke tells us that Anna had known sorrow. She was a widow, but she was not bitter, that we can tell. See, being a widow in this time was a really tough life sentence. You didn't have your own income, your own job, your own home, your own authority. You didn't have rights or privileges. That all was with the husband. So widows were encouraged to remarry as fast as possible. If they couldn't or wouldn't, then you became dependent on the charity of the community for all of your basic needs, shelter and food and clothing. That's a tough hand to be dealt. Imagine it would have been easy to become bitter if you're in Anna's shoes. Maybe you can relate to Anna. Maybe 2014 has just been a crappy year 
Maybe you've been dealt a tough hand. If that's so, then you have options. You always, always have the option of becoming bitter, of holding on to that thing, whatever it might be, or circumstance, and letting it fester in your heart. You always have that option. You also have the option of becoming hopeful. Now, maybe there's something on the other side of this. Maybe there is something bigger at work. Anna had a tough hand. She'd been a widow for a long time. It says she lived with her husband for seven years before she became a widow until she was 84. The vast majority of her life, she lived in this state. Yet there was this devotion. There was this searching, this longing that took her to the temple every day without fail. She was in the presence of her heavenly father. I want you to understand why this is important. See, Anna spent time in prayer and in fasting and in community at the temple. And what that did is it created conditioning for her. And it will create a conditioning for you. You can sit in your room and be bitter about every bad thing that's ever happened to you. You have that option. Or you can condition yourself with the people around you and lay these things before the Lord and, and enter into anger and frustration. Allow God into that place. Prayer and the word and each other. Anna was conditioning herself to stay in a hopeful place. It doesn't always happen naturally on its own. She was constantly in prayer and worship. And she had her hopes realized she is given this gift of being the one. Do you understand when you read this? It says that Simeon spoke to Mary and Joseph. It says that Anna came and she pronounced to everyone who would hear Everyone who had been hoping for the redemption to happen, she's the one who pronounces that. What a gift. These are some of the characteristics. If we want to be a people of hope in this season as we long for something bigger, would we be humble? Would we be full of faith? Would we live in devotion to God and to one another? I want to close with this thought here. Um, I don't want to pretend that everyone lives this really hopeful, joyous life. Okay? I know that's not true. I know it's not true of me all of the time. I know many of us are living in the opposite of hope. And, and, and as I was praying and, and just kind of contemplating on this, like what is the opposite of hope? I know hopelessness is like the polar opposite, but I don't think many of us live in hopelessness, in full despair. Some of us might. I think the opposite that we live in most of the time, the opposite of being hopeful is being cynical. Cynical is like a hope seed that is spoiled and gone sour.
When I, um, I used to coach football in another life. And every year when we would start the football season, you're looking at this journey, which is a really long journey. Football usually starts like in the spring and then playoffs finish in like November, December, if you're lucky. Um, and this journey lies in front of you and you're trying to, every year you're putting together this group of young, young men and some years you've got uh, kids with a lot of talent, um, but they don't work hard. And those are, hard, those are tough years. And then other years you got kids with not much talent, but they work really hard. Those are usually fun years. And then you have years where you have kids who are really talented and work hard, and those are glorious years. Every year, you're, you're piecing this group together. And I would look intentionally from the very beginning. Of course, you're trying to figure out positions and skill sets and all of that stuff. But I'm, I'm looking for the attitude, the condition of the heart of each one of the guys that's going to be on this, this roster. It was a huge deal to me. And here's what I noticed. As you're, as you're preparing the kids, you're really preaching like this dream, this hope of what can be. If we work together, if we do all these things, there's, here's what's possible. If you had kids who would snicker at that, if you had kids who when you said, hey, we're gonna take on uh, this team Friday night and, and here's their strengths, here's our strengths, here's what I think we could do. And you had kids who would roll their eyes I had two options. I had to win them over with hope or I had to marginalize them and their voice. And I wanna just tell you today that that is true in your personal life. That whatever it is that lies in front of you, that there is this hope and longing for something bigger and greater that can and will be accomplished. And yet you will have in your spirit, in your mind, this snickering voice. This one that says, that's not really possible. You don't have what it takes. Maybe you misinterpreted that promise. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe he loves other people. There will be that. And I have to tell you right now that this example of these people living in humility, walking in faith, being devoted to the Lord and to one another, you have to dive into this. You have to walk this out. So that you can overcome that voice or you can marginalize it. Because it will get louder. As we saw with the nation of Israel, it, in a few generations, Hope will be lost. People will stop believing. And we can't do that. We are ambassadors of hope to this city and to the world. And that means we have to condition ourselves to be that together. Let's pray. Lord God, your word in Romans 15 spells out for us how to live in hope. You tell us um, through the Apostle Paul, you say, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
This is your instruction to us. God, we just want to stop and recognize, God, that we need you to fill us with hope. You are the God of hope. Your name is hope. Your promise is hope. And we need a filling of that. We need it regularly, God, and we need it this morning. 